Well, we are starting a new series today that we're calling Relationship Refresh. It's a seven-part series, and when I googled what a refresh was in regard to my computer, here is what Google told me. I'll quote, in general, refresh is another way of describing the process of reloading or updating what's being displayed. For example, if you were on a certain website, refreshing the page would bring up the most recent content published on that page. Essentially, you're asking the site to send you the newest version of the page you're on. So in theory, a refresh will give you the most up-to-date and most helpful information. And that's what I'm hoping that our Relationship Refresh series will do. We'll look at the timeless truths uh, that we're taught in Scripture, and we're going to apply them to the unique situations we face in our relationships today. And we'll be applying this to many different kinds of relationships. If you are married, it will apply to you. If you are single or single again, it will also apply to your relationships. And if you're struggling with stress in your family relationships or in your friendships, Relationship Refresh should give you both biblical truths and the ways to deal with the stresses that we face in today's world. And I'm hoping that this series will help us to update our ways of doing relationships so that we can avoid some of the hurts and the problems that we often face. But as I thought about it, I looked back and I see some big mistakes that I have made in my friendships and in my relationships with my kids or especially in my marriage and I wish that I had had a refresh button to push that would have helped me avoid some of those mistakes. Are you with me on that? I mean, I remember, for example, way back, way back when Jill was pregnant with our first daughter. I mean, she was literally days away from giving birth, and um, it was really, really hot where we were living in Northern California, and uh, we didn't have air conditioning in the house that we were in, and our neighbors had offered to let us use their above-ground swimming pool, and it had a deck at the water line, but it didn't have any steps nor did it have a ladder to get in and out of the water. You just jumped in, but getting out was kind of, you know, squirming out and all that. And um, Jill was really hot, and she wanted to swim. But I wasn't sure that was a good idea. And I wanted to express my concern for her, but I didn't do a very good job at it. What I said was, honey, it would take a crane to get you out of that pool. <laughs> Guys, that is not something you ever want to say to your wife, whether she's nine months pregnant or not. You just never want to say those words to your wife. In fact, it is nearly 37 years later, and I may have to sleep on the couch tonight because I reminded her that I ever said those words. Oh, how I wish I'd had a relationship refresh button to help me avoid that mistake. So I hope this series will help all of us improve in our relationships and 
to update the browser in our brain with the most current ways to use God's wisdom to help us to really enjoy our relationships. And we will start today by looking at simple but not easy steps to great relationships. And I work hard in my messages to not give trite answers that sound simple but really aren't. But today, I really think the starting place for relationships really is a few simple steps. And as the title says, just because they're simple doesn't mean that they are easy, but they're simple to grasp and simple to understand. And you might be surprised where we start in this, it really does start with you. It starts with you. It isn't about helping your jerk of a spouse understand. It isn't about getting your mom to quit nagging. It isn't really about helping your friend to understand how they are hurting you. It comes down to some simple changes you can make, some simple choices that you can make. But before I get to those choices, let me remind you about that first relationship. God had put Adam into the Garden of Eden and everything was great. I mean, there was lots of food and there was no sin and there were no weeds and it was a paradise. But Adam was lonely. And so God created Eve. And Adam really, really liked Eve. You might not catch that at your first reading of Genesis because when God brings Eve to Adam, it looks like Adam says, this is, her, this is it, that's her. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It sounds pretty calm, but in the Hebrew, that expression really can't be translated very well. It's more like this, wow, that's the one. She's it. He was really excited. He really, really liked Eve. And they are enjoying the garden. God had said, it's all yours. Enjoy it. Enjoy all of it. Just don't eat the fruit from this one tree. Just don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And in Genesis chapter 2, the very last verse says this. It's not in your notes. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Sure, that means they were physically naked, but it probably also means something else. They were totally exposed to each other. They probably understood each other and they were honest with each other and they could talk together and share with each other. They were naked and they felt no shame. Now, we get to the start of... Genesis chapter 3, and that's where we read about what we call the fall of man. The devil begins to talk to them, and he says, what is it that God told you? You can't eat of this tree? Oh, you can eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. And so they trust what the devil says, and they ate from that tree, and something immediately changes big time, because in chapter 3, verse 9, God comes to the garden looking for them. He calls out to them. He says, Adam, where are you? And according to verse 10, Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. In 10 short verses in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve go from being naked and feeling no shame to being afraid and ashamed and hiding. And what I hear in those verses is what I often observe in relationships between people. You see, often we realize that when we realize that the real us is exposed, we're afraid and so we hide. When we feel like the real us is exposed, we get afraid and we hide. And some in this room desperately want to have great relationships, but when you get close to people, you just feel so exposed. They see you for who you really are and then you get afraid. You get afraid that they won't like who you really are or they won't accept you for who you are or that they will use who you are to hurt you all over again and you feel so naked, you feel so exposed and so you hide. You could hide behind your busy schedule or behind your past hurts or maybe hide behind your shyness or your anger but you hide. And while you are hiding, you are totally sabotaging your ability to have great relationships. While you're hiding, you're totally sabotaging your ability to have great relationships. You might be a person who has been married for 20 years, but if you're still hiding a part of who you are, you will never have great relationships. And you might have lots of friends that you hang out with, but if you're hiding your true hurts and your true feelings, you will not have great relationships. And when we decide to continue to hide, when we decide to continue to protect ourselves and not let people really see us, then we will continue to stay lonely. And that choice is totally ours. It's totally ours. And today, I want to help you see that you can make different choices. Look at what God said to his people in the Old Testament. He said in Deuteronomy 30, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. God was hoping that they would make the right choice. He was hoping that they would choose life. And I hope that we will too. I hope we will choose to take the simple steps that will lead us to great relationships. I hope we will choose life-giving relationships rather than continuing to hide in fear which leads to death. Let's look at four simple but not easy steps to great relationships. And the first is to choose to believe what God says. To choose to believe what God says. Now, many of you who are already followers of Jesus are already kind of checking this one off your list. You're, you're thinking, well, of course I believe what God says. I believe what the Bible says is true, and I believe what God says about Jesus and about sin and about heaven. I believe what God says, and that's fantastic. I think that's great, but do you believe what God says about you? Do you believe what God says about you? And I'm not just talking about intellectually believing that. In your heart, do you really believe what God says about you? 
And what God says about you is that he loves you. Look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 3. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand or grasp, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. The passage says all of us as God's people should understand or we should grasp how much God loves us. And that word for understand or that word for grasp is a really interesting one. It literally means to apprehend or to capture. And it came from the root word for rust, for rust, kind of an interesting thing. And that meant the rust, the word meant to eat all the way through, kind of what happens on the rocker panels of cars. And so the writer says here, don't just skim over this. Don't just read the Cliff Notes version of this. Really, really know how high and how deep and how wide and how long the love of God is for you, for you. Know what he says about you. Be captured by his unfailing love. Let the, that truth eat through the fears and the barriers in your life until that truth is at home in your heart and until you trust it completely. I included in your bulletin uh, today something that I found several years ago that I hope will help you get, grasp the truth of what God says about you. It's called Who I Am in Christ, and it was compiled by Freedom in Christ Ministries, and it is divided into three areas, but it tells you several things about what Christ thinks of you. It says, I'm accepted, and I'm secure, and I'm significant, and then there's several uh, scriptures under each one, and I hope you'll really study it. I hope you'll make it a part of your devotion, and maybe even memorize it. I hope that it will encourage you and help you to really choose to believe what God says about you. As Neil Anderson says, most people spend a lifetime trying to become what they already are. Most people spend a lifetime trying to become what they already are. So many people today are just desperately trying to find someone to love them. They just want to be loved. They want to find someone who really loves them and they are searching for real and true love and the simple truth, if you will choose to believe it is, you are loved you are already loved. God loves you completely and he desperately wants you to grasp that. He wants you to understand. He wants you to believe what he says about you. And I hope you will choose to believe what God says about you. I'm praying that you will be able to grasp how high and how wide and how deep his love really is for you, for you. Another simple but not easy step towards great relationships is choose to love who God loves. Choose to love who God loves. Look at what happened in uh, Matthew 22. They've asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is, trying to trip him up and trick him, but look at his answer. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important command, and the second command is like the first, love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Now, one of the things that this verse says is it's healthy. It's a healthy thing for us to spiritually and emotionally, for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and off of our fear and off of our hurts and off of our needs for a time. And when we throw ourselves into focusing on others and helping others and serving other people, we take our eyes off ourselves, and that helps us to be better and to relate better. And so loving who God loves means that I need to learn to love the other people around me. But there is something else major in this verse, something else deeper in this verse. It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And many people have perfected this. They don't love themselves, so they don't love anybody else either. So when I talk about loving who God loves, you've got to love yourself as well. And that's hard for many people. It just feels wrong. It's hard for many people. And even those people who we think are arrogant and egotistical, I find that many times they are really struggling with this. They're trying to compensate for the fact that they don't like themselves very much. They don't like themselves very much. And if we don't like ourselves, we continue to hide. We continue to pull back from people and that will keep us from having great relationships. So choosing to love who God loves is one of the simplest steps to great relationships. It's simple, but it's really not easy, is it? So how can we do this? Well, let me give you two clues to start with. First, stop comparing yourself. Stop comparing yourself. People begin to look down on themselves when they start comparing themselves to others. I mean, guys, we see all these television stars and these athletes, and I mean, they're so handsome and they're so well built. And, you know, I think I see some of these athletes and I think I am never going to have a body like that. You know, my six pack became a couple of two liters years ago. And, ladies, you see those supermodels and you start comparing yourself to them and you begin to feel so insecure. But let me give you some statistics. The average American woman is five foot three and weighs 152 pounds. And the average supermodel is five foot nine and weighs 109 pounds. Most of them have the body mass index that lies in the range of malnutrition. It's not healthy. And comparing yourself to others is just a trap. And remember those companies that put these stars on these shows or in the photos in these magazines, they have one purpose, and that's to sell us things. That's their only purpose, to sell us things. And that's why they use people who are not average, people that don't look like most of us look. And looks aren't the only place where we compare, is it? I mean, we compare talent and jobs, and marriages, and kids, and paychecks, and we begin to think that we're not good enough, and that we are less than others because we're comparing. So stop comparing yourself to others, and secondly, start accepting yourself. Start accepting yourself. Sure, I wish that I could sing like Pastor Dale, or play an instrument like uh, the talented people who stand on this stage, but I can't. Instead, God has given me speaking gifts and leadership gifts. And some of you 
He has given administrative gifts and helping gifts and service gifts that you use completely behind the scenes or a mercy gift that lets you really help others. And it does no good for me to wish that I had someone else's gifts. I need to accept myself. We need to trust that God has made us who we are and that he loves us because of who we are. You see, the ultimate surrender to who God is is when I accept who he made me to be. The ultimate surrender to God is self-acceptance. It's me accepting who he decided to make me to be. And when I quit trying to be someone else, when I quit wishing that I had someone else's looks or talents or personality, and I just accept who God made me to be, and I begin to love who God made me to be, then everything's happier. Here's the simple truth, and I hope you'll choose to believe it. You are enough. You are enough. And I know that you may have had a boss or a parent or a spouse or a friend who told you different. You may have had somebody in your life who told you that you weren't enough. They constantly seemed to say you were not enough no matter how hard you tried. But God wants you to hear clearly today, you are enough. You are enough. And he loves you. And he wants you to love who he loves. That means he wants you to love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, you will have a hard time having great relationships One of the ministries that we have around here can help you choose to love yourself. It has helped many people. We call it Revolution. It's a Celebrate Recovery ministry, and it will help you overcome some of your hurts and some of your habits and some of your hang-ups so that you can begin to love yourself the way that God loves you. Let's look at a third simple step that we can take towards great relationships. It is to choose to become who God has designed. Now, God loves us completely, and he accepts us just like we are. He loves us completely. He accepts us just like we are, but he loves us far too much to let us stay that way. He loves us far too much to let us stay that way. God loves us so much that he wants us to become the person he designed us to be. He wants us to get past some of those hang-ups that have made us into who we are today, and he wants to help us become who he designed us to be. And look at this passage from Colossians chapter 3. God has chosen you, and he has made you his holy people. He loves you. So your new life should be like this. Show mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. Together with these things, the most important part of your new life is to love each other. Love is what holds everything together in perfect unity. Did you notice that every one of the qualities that he mentioned that he wants us to have are qualities that will help us to have a better relationship with other people? 
every quality he mentions will help us to have better relationships. And we sometimes spend a lot of time developing skills that help us get ahead in life or to have more fun or to have more money. But the qualities God wants for us are qualities that will help us to have better relationships. You see, God cares about our relationships. He cares about our relationships. So he wants us to learn to show mercy towards people who are hurting and to be kind to those who are feeling cast aside or to be humble instead of arrogant. He wants us to be gentle with stubborn people and patient with irritating people. You know who they are. Don't, don't look at them. You know who they are. He wants us to avoid anger and to excel in forgiving. But most of all, he just wants us to love each other. He wants us to love each other because love is what holds everything together. So by telling us to develop these qualities to become who he's designed us to be, he is basically telling us something about great relationships. He's saying, if you want to have great relationships, become someone you want to hang out with. Become someone you want to hang out with. In other words, if you want friends, you should focus on becoming a good friend. And when we move towards becoming who God designed us to be, we open ourselves up for better relationships because we become easier to relate to and relate with. Now that I've said that, I need to talk to you about another truth. Write this down. You can change. You can change. Too many times people have convinced themselves of a lie. They've said, you know what? I am what I am. I, I can never change. I, I'm never going to get past this. I'm always going to be an angry guy. I'm always going to be a selfish woman. I'm always going to be who I am. That's who I am. And I'm always going to be that way. I don't believe that. And that's definitely not what the Bible says is true. A selfish person can choose to think about the needs of others and a loud, rude person can become quieter and more respectful of others around them and an angry person can learn to control their anger and a bitter person can learn to forgive. We can push past the character flaws that we've allowed to develop and we can make these other things become a part of who we are. We can choose to become who God designed us to be. Let's look at one more simple but not easy step to, be, to great relationships. I hope that you're still with me. I hope you're still listening because this one is really important if you want great relationships. And that is you have to choose to trust what God provides. Choose to trust what God provides. And this may be the hardest of our simplest steps because it is so tempting for us to trust other things. It's so tempting to trust other things. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman who was searching for all the things that you find on that who I am in Christ sheet. She was searching for significance and security and she was looking for acceptance. She desperately wanted to find all of those things in relationships and she had made some pretty big relationship mistakes and so she basically had very few friends at this time 
And that's why she was coming to draw water from this well at a time when none of the other women in town would have been there at the well. And she was an outcast in her city and in her society. But Jesus is there and Jesus asks her for a drink of water. And basically she's shocked that he would talk to her because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Plus, he was a man and she was a woman and men at that time didn't strike up conversations with women in general, but especially not a sinful woman like her. And so she says something about it. She asks why he is breaking the cultural rules to ask her for water. And Jesus said, if you knew who it was that asked you for water, you would ask me to give you living water. And she said, well, you don't have anything to draw with, and this well is really deep. But look at what Jesus says to her next. Start in chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty The water I give will become a spring of water gushing up inside that person, giving eternal life. Jesus said, people who drink well water will keep getting thirsty, but when we drink from the water he provides, we won't be thirsty ever again. He is being symbolic here, and it was really crucial for her to grasp hold and to understand it, and it's crucial for us to understand it too. You see, when he talks of thirst, he's talking about the discomfort of unmet needs. When he's talking about thirst, he's talking about this need that is unmet and people drink water because they need hydration and they will die if that need isn't met and in Jesus's day they went to a well and they drew water to meet that need today we go to a faucet or we buy a plastic bottle of water or we drink something else that tastes better like diet coke to meet the need but Jesus wasn't focused on his need for hydration or on her need for hydration He was focused on our other needs. And the fact is, many of us have messed up our lives and we've messed up our relationships because we're thirsty. Because we're thirsty. We're thirsty for acceptance. Or we're thirsty for approval or significance. Or we're thirsty for success or for love, or we're thirsty for fulfillment, or fun, or for excitement. And when we are thirsty, there are so many voices in our society screaming that they will satisfy our thirst. I mean, they say, your need for love is going to be satisfied if you dump your spouse and pursue a different and more exciting romance or they say your need for approval will be met if you work harder 
and succeed at a job or they say your need for fun will be satisfied if you just join that club or go to that bar or go to that website or experience that thrill and they say your need for significance will be satisfied if you get to that level where you can buy that big house or that luxury car and the list could go on and on and on and the truth of us the truth is most of us sitting here have believed those voices at some point or another we have tried to quench our thirst and to meet our needs by doing some of those things. And if we tell ourselves the truth, every time we end up unsatisfied. Every time we end up needing something else or someone else to quench our thirst. Because when we drink from those wells, we just end up thirsty again. We end up thirsty again because the thirst inside of us will never be quenched by anything other than a relationship with Jesus. It just won't be. And every addiction that we have is just our attempt to meet our need for God without God. And people and things become an idol in our lives when we try to use them to meet needs that only God can meet. You were created to look to God for everything you need. And only he can meet our needs. Only he can satisfy us completely. So the simple truth that I have to choose to believe is that God is enough. God is enough. We sang that earlier. If I want to be satisfied and secure in life, I have to come to the place where I trust what God provides for my life. I trust it to satisfy my deepest desires. I have to come to the place where I believe that he is enough. And we said earlier that it is true that you are enough. It's true that you are enough. And now we're saying that God is enough. And how can those two coexist? Well, the fact that he is enough is the reason you are enough. The fact that he is enough is the reason that you are enough. We are only enough because God is enough and has made us enough by giving us Jesus. So what does any of this have to do with great relationships? I think it has everything to do with it. You see, how you relate to God and how you relate to yourself is an essential part of how you will relate to others. And until you get that right, until you get it right and relate right to God and relate right to yourself, you will never have great relationships. It all starts with the choices you make. And so you got to choose to believe what God says, that he loves you completely. You've got to choose to love who God loves. And that means you've got to learn to love yourself. And you've got to choose to become who God designed you to be and let him make those changes in your life. And you've got to choose to trust what he provides. You've got to choose to say that he is enough, that you don't need these other things to help you. And when you make those choices, you become 
a different person. You become a person who's calm and who's resting in what God thinks of you and growing into a more loving person. And you will be trusting God to provide what you need rather than looking to quench your thirst in unhealthy ways. And when you do that, you will grow into a person who is comfortable and confident and people will be drawn to you. People will be drawn to you in relationships. What was it that Jesus said back in that verse in John chapter 4? He said, the water that he gives becomes a spring of living water gushing up inside the person giving eternal life. The water that Jesus quenches our thirst with becomes this spring of water that fills us up that overflows in our life and the water that overflows into our life because we've let Jesus uh, quench our thirst with what he provides begins to spill out of our lives and it begins to help other people and touch other people and it begins to draw them towards Jesus and towards us. Making these choices helps us to have great relationships. And so let's pray together.